0: I'm Julian G. Simmons, and this is a special Thanksgiving episode of Our Gen Pod. Hi, everyone. I hope you're enjoying a warm and happy Thanksgiving holiday. Since so many of you appreciated our 4th of July dramatic reading of George Washington's Rules of Civility, including the mice who ate away parts of the original manuscript, we're going to treat you to another reading for this holiday, but this time without the mice. Few of us give much thought to the real roots of our Thanksgiving holiday. We put together a feast, we gather with family, we watch football and some of us even remember to give thanks for the good things we have had. As children, we were taught the story of the first Thanksgiving when the Native American people and the Mayflower Pilgrims came together and shared that first feast in the fall of 1621. (laughs) kids dressed up in paper pilgrim hats and feathered headbands. It's all fun. But we want to share some little-known history about what that first celebration really was about. Those settlers and the Native American people that joined them were certainly thankful, thankful to be alive. The pilgrims were a small Christian sect in England who saw established religion as corrupt. They wanted to be free to worship as they liked, wherever they liked, free from the edicts of the church, which was then ruled by the monarch. In 17th century England, that was a serious crime. Just for not attending church, you could be fined the equivalent of $10,000, or jailed, or even put to death. So the Puritans, as they were known, fled to Holland, where they were tolerated but still persecuted as lowly outsiders. Fearing their children were being lured away by unholy temptations of the Dutch, they made the risky decision to flee once more, to cross the stormy Atlantic in a ship called the Mayflower to the New World America. Just over 100 made the torturous trip, and it was not exactly pleasant company. The Puritans were tossed in with a motley crew and some rather unsavory strangers. After two months on the stormy sea, the Mayflower anchored at Cape Cod just as winter was blowing in. The sick and weary passengers were totally unprepared for the freezing New England storms and the inhospitable wilderness, a place where wild beasts and even wilder natives threatened. After their years of fighting persecution and two sickening months at sea, that first brutal winter was devastating. Nearly half of the 102 passengers who came in 1620 died from pneumonia, tuberculosis, famine, severe vitamin deficiencies like scurvy and exposure, unable to build shelter from the deadly cold. But those native tribes, the Patuxet and the Wampanoag, had suffered an even worse fate. The year before the pilgrims arrived, They had been ravaged by a plague brought over to the New World by European settlers far to the north. As it swept south, it decimated both tribes, killing 90% of their people. Their bones littered the land the pilgrims settled. But spring did come, and the native people and the surviving pilgrims discovered their common bond. In March, a small delegation of Wampanoag walked into the ravaged encampment, offering peace. They were greeted by a leader of the Pilgrims named Edward Winslow. Among the group of Native Americans was Disquantum, or Squanto, the only surviving member of the Patuxet tribe. A few years before, he had been taken as a slave by English explorers sold off to Spain and then to England. He learned to speak English before gaining his freedom. He returned only to find all of his people dead from plague and his village in ruin, littered with their bones. After finding the settlers trustworthy, Squanto returned with the leader of the Wampanoag, Massasoit. The natives and the pilgrims signed a treaty agreeing to defend one another against hostile tribes. Squanto stayed on the plantation and taught the settlers how to plant corn, where to fish, and hunt. It was thanks to Squanto that the settlers survived and eventually thrived. By the autumn in 1621, almost a year after the Mayflower anchored in Plymouth Bay, there was indeed much to celebrate. What we today call Thanksgiving was then the Harvest Celebration, which took place over three days and included games and other entertainments, and of course, an Autumn Harvest Feast. The only record of that celebration was in a letter written by Edward Winslow. Without that, we probably wouldn't even be celebrating the holiday. Writing to a friend in England, Winslow describes the celebration and the feast that took place. Here's an excerpt from Winslow's letter with some dramatic license. In this little time that a few of us have been here, we have built seven dwelling houses and four for the use of the plantation and have made preparation for diverse others. We set the last spring some twenty acres of Indian corn, and sowed some six acres of barley and peas, and according to the manner of the Indians, we manured our ground with herrings, or rather shads, which we have in great abundance. Our corn did prove well, and God be praised we had a good increase of Indian corn, and our barley indifferent good. Our harvest being gotten in, our governor sent four men on fowling, that so we might, after a more special manner, rejoice together, after we had gathered the fruit of our labors. They four in one day killed as much fowl as served the company almost a week, At which time, amongst other recreations, we exercised our arms. many of the Indians coming amongst us, and among the rest their greatest king Massasoit, with some ninety men, whom for three days we entertained and feasted. And they went out and killed five deer, which they brought to the plantation and bestowed on our governor and upon the captain and others. And although it be not always so plentiful as it was at this time with us, yet by the goodness of God we are so far from want that we often wish you partakers of our plenty. We have found the Indians very faithful in their covenant of peace with us, very loving and ready to pleasure us. We often go to them and they come to us. We entertain them familiarly in our houses, and they as friendly bestowing their venison on us. They are a people without any religion or knowledge of any god, yet very trusty. I never in my life remember a more seasonable year than we have here enjoyed. Men might live as contented here as in any part of the world. For fish and fowl, we have great abundance, fresh cod in the summer. Our bay is full of lobsters all the summer and afford a variety of other fish. In September, we can take a hogshead of eels in a night with small labor and dig them out of their beds. All the winter, we have mussels and oysters. We can have them brought by the Indians when we will. All the springtime the earth sendeth forth naturally very good salad herbs. Here are grapes, white and red, and very sweet and strong also. Strawberries, gooseberries, raspets, plums of three sorts, with black and red being almost as good as damson, abundance of roses, white, red, and damask, The country wanteth only industrious men to employ. These things I thought good to let you understand, being the truth of things as near as I could experimentally take knowledge of, and that you might on our behalf give God thanks, who hath dealt so favorably with us. So I take my leave, commending you to the Lord for safe conduct unto us, Resting in him, Plymouth in New England, this 11th of December, 1621. Your loving friend, Edward Winslow. Thanksgiving as we know it today, the actual holiday, wasn't conceived until the mid-19th century, when a magazine editor named Sarah Josepha Hale came across the book, Chronicles of the Pilgrim Fathers, based on the writings of Plymouth Plantation's governor, William Bradford, which was included in the 1841 book by Alexander Young. The book contained the letter written by Edward Winslow. After reading Winslow's letter, Sarah Hale, who also gave us the rhyme, Mary had a little lamb, started a campaign for a national holiday in honor of that first harvest celebration. In 1863, in the midst of the Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln officially proclaimed the third Thursday of November as our National Day of Thanksgiving. So we have some people to be thankful for this holiday. Edward Winslow, Squanto, Sarah Josepha Hale, and a few others we'll hear about in a moment. Our GenPod has a unique link to the origins of this holiday. Our director, Rob Wilson, is the direct descendant of eight of the original Mayflower passengers. So although he rarely is allowed into the recording booth, I talked with Rob about his links to our beginnings. Rob Wilson, welcome to your podcast. It's it's kind of um, interesting interviewing Herr director of our gen pod.
1: It's very interesting. I usually <laughs> I'm usually stuck in the back with, with with tape over my mouth, so this is a real relief.
0: <laughs> so anyway, Rob, you had a lot of relatives who were on the Mayflower, but people think that the people who came over on the Mayflower were all these pilgrims, but that is really not anywhere near the truth. And your family is a case in point, because I was reading there is some of them were separatists, some of them were non-separatists, some of them were crew, and some of them were indentured servants. So you have the complete mixture of people who were on that boat.
1: Yes, I have very (laughs) multifaceted blood. My blood is many strains. You know... I have to give credit, first off, right off the top to my grandmother, Carol Green Wilson, who was an outstanding and remarkable lady in her time. She wrote several books, but she really devoted herself to creating this record of our family genealogy. And she did it the old-fashioned way. There were no computers. And got books out of shelves and put together charts and traveled and went to places and investigated and put this all together and made the connections that link us back to eight people on the mayflower and that makes me an american
0: but let me ask you in retrospect the way a lot of people kind of diss the pilgrims and the mayflower as the destroyers of the indians and all Ooh. kinds of negative things i mean how do how do you look at that from your own perspective
1: well, I, you know, listening to what you said earlier, I I love the way uh, it was described as, you know, they were they were kind and they were ready to pleasure us, and I I always wonder just exactly what was going on there. Um, but it, you know, that's the true stereotype, and I have to confess that I that's my version of it too. I mean, Columbus, forget it, but these guys came in and they were desperate they were unprepared they were but they were incredibly incredibly dedicated to this freedom of religion and that has become one of the stalwart you know aspects of america so they were in fact founding fathers and mothers and that's interesting too yeah absolutely that For- the women were just not counted they were not part of it they weren't allowed to sign the Mayflower compact they didn't really get considered until well into the 19th century i
0: noticed it in the various lists on the mayflower passengers whenever they list the women they just say the wife of yeah. the daughter of as opposed to whether what was their stance you know were yeah. they were they were they separatists or were they not
1: yes yeah. and when you say separatists that is in fact synonymous with pilgrims Puritans. They were the ones who wanted to split off, form their own utopian colony, and be able to worship God the way they wanted to. But the problem in England was much more severe than we can appreciate in the sense that they were persecuted unless they went and did it the way they were supposed to do. Went to church, sat in a pew, and obeyed. And the church was run by the monarch. King James at their time. And he was just not in favor of their kind. Well, he was
0: known to be a bit of a tyrant on a lot of things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And they were in in danger of their lives for the sake of their Christianity. And that we just can't barely understand today. But that was the truth of it. And, you know, it's always revisionist uh, tendency, which I am guilty of, to look back and say, oh, well, they came in and you know, and, and usurped the Indians and enslaved them and gave them diseases. Well, the disease part is tragically true um, in the sense that, and you talked about how early settlers and explorers from Europe brought disease, mm-hmm. and these native people did not have any immunity to that, and it spread horrendously. I mean, we think we had it bad. It wiped them out. And and we just can't even imagine the horror of ninety percent of their village being wiped out, I mean, you know, poor Squanto. Well,
0: his his tribe, the Patuxet, were completely wiped out. He was the only he was the sole survivor, and that was only because he had been captured and sent over to Europe as a slave. Yeah. So his tribe was gone, and he um, ended up going to the Wampanoag. They welcomed him in, and he became part of their tribe. But. Let's be more specific, because um, we're talking about the, the the pilgrims, the Mayflower pilgrims, and not the other nasty Europeans <laughs> who well, came in it, and brought disease. Because uh, there's some wonderful stories about what the pilgrims did when they first arrived, and it was the beginning of winter, and it was freezing, and they found some corn buried, and they took half of it. And then a year later, when they were able to produce more crops, they... Returned it.
1: Yeah, they were very, very moral and very very ethical people, and that's to be respected. I think they had this sense of duty to the very good aspects, frankly, that that I see in Christianity and honesty and charity and compassion are all parts of that. And that that's underlying this Thanksgiving holiday in a good way. And I'm proud of that. I'm very, very proud to be connected to these early people who faced just horrendous odds in their struggle to be free. Yeah,
0: I'm not sure how many people actually realize what they went through to make it to the American shore, and then what happened when they got here. I mean, they went through just about every hellish thing you can imagine on their way here, and when they actually landed.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of sources that people can go to, and one of them I really have to recommend is there's a PBS documentary that's done by Ken Burns' brother, Rick, called The Pilgrim, that is just outstanding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to pay for it a little bit, but it's it's on PBS. And um, it is awesome in, in the way that it portrays this whole struggle. And central character is William Bradford, who was one of my ancestors. Well,
0: he became the governor of the Plymouth Colony. Very quickly after they landed. And he was that for
1: 36 years. Right, quite a long time. Quite amazing. Um, He was my ninth great-grandfather. And I'm very, very proud to be related to him. Because you can get a sense from Rick Burns' documentary. His sense of, of purpose, his indomitable spirit, and the struggle that they went through to achieve this dream, which. At many points, he could just throw his hands up and say, in the Christian sense, my God, my God, why have you deserted me? Because they were, they were not exactly blessed. They first, they were persecuted and threatened, as you have said, with fines of outrageous proportion that would wipe them out for just not showing up in church then they could be arrested and and I'm sure tortured or they could be killed just for not going to church and that's pretty pretty scary so that's why they fled they they were this small group of people who just decided we're not going to do this and they left and went to went to holland where it was more or less accepting of of their protestant ideas but then they went through this period of being kind of treated like lowly outsiders by the Dutch merchants and made to do menial chores, and that really wasn't who they were. So, and ultimately, I think it's kind of somewhat amusing to think that they became worried that their children were being lured away from From the faith that defined them by the licentious attractions of Dutch culture. Yeah, I've been to Amsterdam. I have a sense of what that might have been. Yeah, Yeah, well, who knows what it was (laughs) then to them. But
0: they did manage to get a sponsor who would pay for them to go to the Americas, the New World, and that boat was taking on water, so they had to turn around and then... They ended up being just a bunch of people packed in on the Mayflower who were, it was a disparate group of people. It wasn't all love and unity. No. One of your relatives, John Howland, he was a servant, I think. He wasn't a... um,
1: Indentured servant.
0: Yeah, he was an indentured servant. And what happened to him on the way over?
1: That's an incredible story that's told in most of the records that we, we have. The Mayflower set sail at the worst possible time, September, leading into the fall and the winter, which is no time to be crossing the Atlantic.
0: Absolutely worst time, yeah. The
1: conditions on board the Mayflower were disgusting. I mean, there were all these people packed in, there were chamber pots flying all over, spilling their contents, there were people vomiting And so John needed some fresh air, and he climbed up onto the deck in the midst of a horrible storm and was thrown overboard. In the middle of the Atlantic. And he managed to catch on to a rope and held on to it as he went down, 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 several fathoms, normally to his death. But he managed to hold on to that rope. And the crew pulled him back, and he survived. It was a miracle. And he later went on to become a very strong cornerstone of the community. So that that's one of the great stories of the Mayflower, was John Howland's survival. And Howland was a baby maker. Yeah, he was. He and his wife, Elizabeth Tilly, had 10 children who turned around and produced 88 grandchildren. And... From whom, over the next four centuries, an estimated two million Americans would descend, including Ralph Waldo Emerson, Joseph Smith, Franklin Roosevelt, Humphrey Bogart, Chevy Chase, both George Bush's father and son, and me.
0: What an illustrious group, including you. Yeah. Me and my cousin, Humphrey.
1: I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship.
0: <laughs> yeah, but Ralph Waldo uh, Emerson, I mean, God.
1: Woof. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to look back all these centuries and see your ancestors and wonder how much of who they were am I. I mean, Emerson is a hero of mine.
0: Yeah, of many people's, yeah. And then there's the uh, this story of uh, William Bradford's wife.
1: Yeah, it's a very tragic story, actually, and an important one because it tells a bit about what the women went through. Um, her name was Dorothy, uh, his wife, his very young wife, and they had to make some really hard decisions back before they left, and those were like Sophie's choice, where they had to choose. Who to leave behind? And they had a young son, and they made the decision to leave him behind.
0: So they left him behind to bring him back over later.
1: Right. It was a charitable decision, and that children shouldn't be subjected to all this hardship. And once they had a secure beachhead, as they called it, and a place they could bring them to, they would call for them, and they would be sent over, and that would be a joyous reunion. That was the hope. Well, when they finally made land they they found land and they they were looking for a place to settle they were not quite where they expected to be actually they were supposed to go to a a new settlement down in New York and unfortunately when they got to land and realized where they were they were 200 miles off course to the north uh cape cod and it was a much more hostile environment. And there was nobody there to greet them except this vast wilderness with beasts and and natives that were going to come after them. And that's got to be scary. And they had no idea what was beyond that coastline. And so they sent out scouting parties. And William Bradford was in the first boat. And he left Dorothy behind Of course. So there she was on this ship in this forbidding harbor with this unknown wilderness beyond. Her husband is gone. Her son is gone. And Dorothy was probably depressed. Another child had just died the day before. And somehow Dorothy slipped and fell overboard into the freezing water and drowned while while William was ashore. Will he return to that horrendous news? Now you would think his book would would tell that story, but there's no mention of this. And that that says a lot about the time. I think, you know, that says something also about how Bradford wrote. You read his book, his book is a is a history, but it's a history of the the dream of what they wanted to happen. Mm-hmm. So he left a lot out.
0: You know, I was thinking just about Thanksgiving and um, how it is today. And, you know, many people feel that our Thanksgiving, even though it's a good time to get together with your friends and family and eat some great food, and it's, it's definitely a tradition, and we all watch football, or a lot of us do. But when I think back to when I was uh, growing up, and you're getting ready for Thanksgiving in school, and you would be making paper turkeys or whatever it was. And the stories that we knew then um, was that Native Americans were there, but generally they were kind of always in the periphery of of the story. They weren't really in the story. The story was always these white people with the hats, you know. But when they did talk about them being there, it was kind of in, you know, this positive way, but yet at the same time we were being sold Indians, you know, little plastic Indians that we were killing as cowboys. So there was this double-edged message that they were good in one way for us, but they were worth killing in another way. So it was this kind of weird mixture. Where does that leave us now with how we think about Thanksgiving? I mean, do we, do you think Americans really know what this first Thanksgiving was about and who was there? I mean, for example, Tisquantum, to, to who was Squanto, um, really was this, a tremendous friend to your relative William Bradford, and also a, a huge. Um, resource for the beginnings of the plantation.
1: Without Squanto, there would be no plantation. That's the bottom line. I mean, he should be right up there on Mount Rushmore. Uh, these are these are people who befriended the settlers and saved the settlers from their own fate. I mean, he taught them how to fish. He taught them where to plant corn. He taught them how to plant corn. He he showed them the countryside. He he took took them under his wing. He was their savior, and it's really hard to to minimize that. Um, There was harmony, and there was celebration, and it was mutual. All those things, which we can attribute to myth, are, as far as the record shows, true. However, and this is where it becomes difficult as a 21st century descendant, I look back and I see these people, these eight people, um, I look back and I see these eight people as, as heroes, as true intrepid pioneers who had a lot to do with the, the soul and the, the character of America in its most positive sense. Now, on this podcast, you've been talking a lot about civility. Mm-hmm. This first Thanksgiving, or in that time, what was the harvest festival was a good example of civility it was two disparate groups who had fought early on and then come together and and became friends and and intermingled um, that was the model that america was built upon and and they
0: and they actually both equally survived because they had the other
1: Yeah, and the Wampanoag are going strong today. Um, The thing is, for me, I I share in that sort of revisionist uh, looking back and going, oh, we white people did this and that, and the Indians were screwed. That is also true. And so it's really hard to reconcile who we have become with who we started out to be. The Founding Fathers, when we move on up to the next century and you talk about the The Declaration of Independence and the Revolutionary War, which I had a few people into, you know all of the things they fought for were were idealistic in a way, but they weren't stupid, and they knew that things could fall apart well indeed, right now, things are falling apart, and we're really against a really bad wind coming from that...
0: A liminal time, as <laughs> yeah, as, as Shep said. But, but let, let me say something about that um, it, in relation to how uncivil things are in so many ways today. Going back to the roots of our, the beginning of our country with the pilgrims, um, before they even set foot on the land, they got together these various groups of people who had very, very different polar opposite beliefs on a lot of things um, and created the Mayflower Compact.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, my grandmother actually starts her book with the Mayflower Compact. And, you know, that that was a very important document because what that did was pull together the settlers themselves Under a binding contract.
0: Right. So let's listen to it. And then if you could comment on it after we listen to it.
1: Okay. Let's go back in time.
2: The Mayflower Compact, 1620. In the name of God, Amen. We whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign Lord, King James, by the grace of God of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, king, defender of the faith, etc. Having undertaken for the glory of God and advancement of the Christian faith and honor of our king and country, avoid to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. Do by these presents, solemnly and mutually in the presence of God, and of one another, covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic, and for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid, and by virtue hereof to enact, constitute, and frame such just and equal laws, ordinances, acts constitutions, and offices, from time to time, as shall be thought most meet and convenient for the general good of the colony, unto which we promise all due submission and obedience, in witness whereof we have hereunder subscribed our names at Cape Cod, the 11th of November, in the year of the reign of our sovereign Lord King James of England, France, and Ireland, the eighteenth, and of Scotland, the fifty-fourth, anno domini sixteen twenty.
1: So what that really meant was we we agree, we commit ourselves, and in those days they really did, to cooperate, to to go by majority rule that if we elect to have somebody lead us, they will lead us. If we elect to have certain rules, we will obey those and suffer the punishment if we don't. I mean, it was the way civility functions, and it is the foundation of the Plymouth Colony.
0: It was the groundwork that set up what we are today in so many ways. Exactly. And and they created that based on the knowledge that they were all very different. Yeah.
1: And and here's the thing, they I mean, the pilgrims wanted their own boat. They wanted their own colony. They wanted their own place where they could be left alone and practice religion or, or praise God as they wanted. All those things and they didn't really get it. Um ultimately, they were diffused. They were they were lost to the masses. And that is America. America is a great you can say melting pot, but it's also a big mishmash of cultures and beliefs, and
0: and the tradition in this country is a constant movement forward, sometimes backwards, but it is about movement, yeah, and as opposed to solid. It, it, it's based on um, it's based on a theory. Well, it's based on an ideal, a
1: utopian. Yes, exactly, yes. a utopian ideal, and that was very much what the Pilgrims had. They they strove for a utopian ideal, and it's it's very well handled in the PBS documentary how Bradford later in life discarded that whole concept. After he had seen so much erosion of the ideal, he gave up the idea. He said communism, he called it communism, isn't going to work. Well, the the thing is, you look back and it really is a thing to celebrate in that at that time and in that moment, those disparate groups came together and celebrated together and worked very, very hard together to survive. And it wasn't just the settlers and the Native Americans. It was on board. They had those what they called strangers or outsiders uh, who felt they could go their own way and had no interest in worshiping God. They brought it all together. And that's America. That's the ideal. That's what we are supposed to be. And anybody who looks at or knows about where we are, we're we're, we're not there. We're completely divided. and in, And in a sad way, I look back at these amazing people that I'm related to, and I wonder what they would think if they looked at today.
0: And what do you think they
1: would think? I think they would be bitterly disappointed. Um, And that's sad. I mean, William Bradford would look at this, you know, I hate to say it, but Trumpism and MAGA MAGA people, the whole thing we're going through, and say, oh, my God, you know, just as the people who framed the Constitution would, you know, look what's happening. But in some ways, they predicted that, they knew. That, that it was fragile, and they knew it had to be defended, and they knew it had to be fought for
0: well, there were there were a lot of things that seemed to have been almost prophetic in what Bradford wrote about what was happening and what was going to happen in the future i, um, I I'm very impressed with what I have seen there, and i I wonder from your perspective again what Of these people from your past, your blood relatives, um, all these great-grandfathers and great-grandmothers of yours who were these people who went through just tremendous suffering for what they believe in to create something which now is a country of over 300 million people, do you feel a responsibility to carry on what they did?
1: Oh, you know... Yeah, um, and I certainly have tried over over my lifetime to do that. Um, this very podcast is an is an effort to do that, mm-hmm. and I think they'd be proud of me. Uh, that would be nice.
0: And you even did a documentary about. Um, the plight of the Indians out here in the West. Yeah,
1: I did, and Native Americans, but it was... it was I'm sorry, Native Americans. Yeah, you know, it's another interesting possible parallel to my ancestors. That documentary, The Probable Passing of Elk Creek, was really about the dispute between Indians and white settlers, just like this is, and it was about how the Indians, the native, <clears throat> the Native Americans, had been screwed over by the white settlers and the U.S. cavalry and run out of their land and the land was taken over and populated by white people and uh, then the native people returned and were stuck on some rocky soil up on the edge of the valley and yada yada. I mean, it's still the story. We have exploited, we have persecuted, we have committed genocide. It's not a good legacy. And So they would look and say, you know, what we had, we lost. And what they had is worth honoring on this holiday, worth celebrating, worth remembering, and worth striving to restore. That's my belief. And we're trying to do that here in our small way. But everybody out there needs to try to do what we can to pull it together because we're screwing up. So celebrate, have fun, enjoy your family, but remember what it's really about.
0: Well, Rob, it's really been wonderful to have you as a guest, on your own podcast. <laughs> so
1: I, so I, I'll go back in my cell now, right? Yeah. Okay.
0: And put the tape back on your mouth. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> We've heard enough from you for this month.
2: Anyway.
1: Shut
0: up. Okay. Right. Thanks, Jillian. All right. Thanks, Rob. Really good to talk with you. Oh, yes. All right. Happy Always. Thanksgiving.
1: Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye.
0: I hope from today's podcast episode that you have some new food for thought on what Thanksgiving is about and what we are celebrating. In closing, I just want to add our thanks for all of you, our listeners, many of whom have been incredibly loyal and supportive of what we are trying to do with this podcast. I try to remember every day when I wake up to express my gratitude out loud for all the good things that come my way, including this podcast, and people like Rob Wilson and Bill Aldridge, who have been here from the beginning, and all of you. I really believe that gratitude begets gratitude. In this holiday time of giving thanks, I hope you'll consider helping us to keep this podcast going. We've just sent out a fundraising appeal. If you missed it, just go to the donate page on our website and give what you can. That's OurGenPod.com and click on the donate button. We wish you a very, very happy Thanksgiving. I'm Julian G. Simmons. Thanks for listening.
2: Unless otherwise noted, all content in this podcast is copyright unauthorized films. This podcast includes copyrighted material, which has not always been specifically authorized by the copyright owner. This content is used only where it is the specific subject of commentary by us and our guests as part of our effort to advance understanding of issues of social and historical significance. We believe that this constitutes a fair use of the material in accordance with the Fair Use Section of U.S. Copyright Law Section 107, which reads, The fair use of a copyrighted work for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, or research is not an infringement of copyright.
1: Further information on this claim of fair use may be found on our website at ourgenpod.com.